you have your Bibles, I invite you now to turn again to Genesis chapter 3. We have been dealing with the perversions, the judgments that have been introduced into marriage and family life due to the failure or the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Because of the sin of the first husband and wife to stay true to the word of God. They listened to other voices other than God. And as a result, they brought havoc upon the family life, husband and wife, marriage, all of those relationships. Our first parents, first husband and wife, father and mother, rebelled against the authority of God over them by listening to the voice of Satan rather than the voice of God. And simply put, that's when all the troubles began. Last time, we looked at the perversions or the judgments that were self-imposed in verses 1 through 13. By self-imposed, we mean that it was because of what they did personally and the things they did and how they did it. But we won't go through that again. Verses 1 through 13 gives us judgments or perversions that were self-imposed. Today, we want to consider the perversions or judgments to the plan and purpose of God for our marriage and family that were divinely imposed. In other words, that which he specifically imposed upon the human race through Adam and Eve because of their rebellion against him. Verse 14, verse 15 gives us the cursing of Satan, the cursing of the serpent. Notice, first of all, that the serpent was cursed as the creature used by Satan. God first looked upon the animal itself rather than the person behind the actions of the animal. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. Now, of course, we could, by way of exposition here, say, because you have allowed yourself to be used in this fashion. Cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. Now, look carefully at this. This does not mean that the serpent was cursed more harshly than other animals doesn't mean that but rather it means that of all the animals he was the one who would be cursed that's the idea of all the animals he was the one that would be cursed it's very important for us to see that here so God focuses then on the creature now it says that on your belly you shall go, you shall crawl for the rest of your life. It's an abiding curse. That's still true today. The curse does not lie in the crawling aspect of though, but rather in what the crawling speaks of. It speaks of humiliation. It speaks of degradation. It speaks of defeat. Because it says, and the dust of the earth shall be your food. This doesn't mean that the serpent's going to eat dirt. 
but it has the idea that it always demonstrates the victory of God over what happened. Even today, we says that when a team beats another team, he says they made them what? Eat the dust or eat the dirt or bite the dirt, whatever it is. That's the same idea here. And so what God is saying to this snake, you will always be a symbol of divine degradation imposed because of what you allowed yourself to be used for. You will always be a symbol of defeat, not a victory, of humiliation, not a pride. What was the devil looking for? He was proud. He wanted to be like God. He used the serpent. Now God used, said to this instrument that allowed itself to be used, you're going to be a symbol, not of pride, but of humiliation. That's God judging the animal. Then he goes on to judge the serpent. Notice what it says. He then turns to the serpent, but now he looks at the one behind the serpent, Satan. And this is what he says in verse 15. And I will put enmity. Now notice this. I will put enmity, divine imposition of a warfare. It started right here. War didn't start here, however. War started in heaven. When Satan, then Lucifer, made the choice to be an enemy of God. Here now, the enmity, the warfare continues, but not with angels. The warfare is now extended to mankind. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Notice carefully, not you and Adam, not even you and mankind, although we'll see it's involved, but you and the woman. Now, who's this woman referred to? Is it only Eve? No, of course not. This goes way beyond. There are different opinions. Some says the woman is the church. Of course, the church is regarded as the bride of Christ and it's always called in the feminine name. Some say, no, it's Mary. And they go to Revelation chapter 12 for this. Where we have the picture of the dragon, that old serpent. It says that old serpent, that ancient one. Going back to the Eden, God, to this point. Waiting for the woman to deliver a child so he, the dragon, could kill the child. That's Revelation 12. We studied that in Discovery last Wednesday. Some say, see, that's Mary. But you see, others says, no, that is Israel. Why? Because it's not looking at it on a personal individual basis. It's looking on, an in, on a national basis. And that's why I think personally, the longer and the better view is that it's speaking of Israel. Because Israel has always been in pain and anguish because of first of their rejection of the Messiah. And that's important but because of their rejection of God himself, of course. But regardless of what it may be, here is the concept of warfare being introduced into the world by God, not by man, 
by God. But notice, this is not a political warfare. This is not a social warfare. This is not even a religious warfare. This is a spiritual warfare. And one of the things we must remember is that we as individual members of this human race, we are in a spiritual warfare. And it's been going on since this time. But you see, many times when we face spiritual enemies, we don't know they're spiritual. Just the same way when Eve looked at this beautiful snake, and we have all reasons to believe it was beautiful. You didn't see Satan behind it. That was too late. Same way with us. We look at our wife, our husband, as the enemy. And it's the devil who's behind it. Now, he's not behind everything, man. Let me get that straight. Sometimes you're responsible for your own foolishness and own sin. But many times, because we refuse to, be, to remember that we are in a spiritual warfare, we try to fight the warfare with human weapons. And we'll never win like that. You understand what I'm saying? That's why I believe that the home is such a message in the day. We're trying... First of all, to build the homes according to human philosophy and thinking rather than according to the word of God. And then when we get into problems and difficulties, we try to fix it with human means rather than divine. And we have the same problems. That's why we're going back here to this passage of scripture. And we talk about the home and rebuilding the foundations because if you don't understand how it is made and the design for it, and what made it go wrong, we'll never be able to fix it, no matter how long we keep on trying. But it goes on. And between your seed and her seed. And for you who are real Bible students, you've got a lot to think about here. Your seed, the woman's seed. That's an odd saying to Jewish people. The Jewish people never talked about the seed of a woman. Her seed, rather. Not, not talking about the, her seed. You know, have never, it's always the seed of the man. Now, who is this? Now, we know in the final analysis, although there's a long history of the genealogy of the seed, that the final seed spoken of here is Jesus Christ. Scriptures tell us that quite clearly in Galatians 3. The seed is Jesus. But there's a long line going from this point on until we come to Jesus. So we know that generally speaking, the seed has to do with those who live by faith, who place their faith in Jesus Christ. The children of Abraham, in other words, by faith. But who's the seed of Satan? Now this is where a lot of people squirm. This is where we get in a lot of trouble. But basically speaking, now basically the seed of Satan is all those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Now, that's broad brush, but that's what it finally comes down to. What did Jesus say to those Jewish people who said that we have God as our father because they were related to Abraham? Remember that? Jesus turned around and looked at them and said, you're not of Abraham. You are of your father, the devil, because they rejected the belief of Abraham by faith. And so on. Notice now. He shall bruise you on the head. 
That's the seed. Notice it's a he. It's not a it. It's not a nation. It's not she. It's not Israel. It's not Mary. We know it refers to Jesus Christ. He shall bruise you on the head. That's a sign of victory and triumph. It's a sign of somebody holding down a snake with the heel on the head to crush it and defeat it, to make it helpless. He shall bruise you on the head. That's pigs of the cross. And so we have here in this one verse a promise of an ongoing warfare between broad rush again the people of God and the people of Satan because of Jesus Christ but Jesus Christ is going to be the one who brings a final victory to the people of God that's the broad brush many more things involved in here but now he turns to the woman and this is where we come now to see some principles that have been laid down by God concerning family relationships, marriage relationships, husband-wife relationships. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. These are amazing words. For many they're fighting words. But these words contain some basic principles and concepts that impact us today as husband and wife. Notice that the focus of her judgment is her relationship to her husband and her role as a mother. Both of which were a blessing in God's original mandate to the couple. In Genesis 1, 28, remember it says, God blessed them. How did he bless them? By saying to them, be fruitful and multiply. Seed truth, kernel truth. Children in God's original plan is to be seen as a blessing. Start right here. That's the first thing God said to them. You'll be blessed. How? By having children. Now, if you want anything that is contrary to what the world thinks is that concept today. That's why we must remember here that if we are going to fix things in the home and it comes to children, we better go back to the Bible and not to the philosophy of men or else it will never be fixed. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Man was made to populate the entire earth. That's why the great commandment was given to go to the corners of the earth because that's where man is supposed to be by God's demand. Now we will see that that's tried to be stopped but that's another story. We're talking about the origins of God's purpose here. God blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, to rule over it in place of God. In doing so, in ruling over, you will show what God is like as ruler of creation. And when you bring forth children, you will see what God is like as the creator. Because now you have the power as husband and wife to procreate. And when you procreate, you show what God is like. And so you are to fill the earth procreating 
with people who are made in the image of God so that the world may know what God is like. To rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth, that's man's divinely given position, privilege. To rule over, not in a harsh sense, but in the sense of governing in a loving way and providing all the needs that needs to be met by God's creatures, God's creation, by taking care of it according to God's way. But now, because of sin, that plan is being perverted. Satan has come in to stop this from happening. You see, when people realize that what they do are blessed of God, they do it happily and joyfully, isn't that right? They do it with zeal and with gusto. They want to do it because it's a blessing of God. So having children and ruling over them the way God rules over his creation is a blessing. But now they listen to another voice, a voice that wants to pervert God's plan. And it says, now that the mandate to procreate is now to be fulfilled through multiplied pain in childbirth. Notice he says, to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Now read it carefully. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Now, it appears as though some pain was already involved in childbirth. You say, how do we get that? Well, he says, I will greatly multiply it. You can only multiply if you start with something. Isn't that right? We can't multiply zero. Although, believe it or not, some people think they can. So it seems as though some pain was there, but it wasn't a long time pain. Now, look at this carefully, women, ladies. It seems that the multiplied pain is a part of the fall. And so here's another implication. Not all pain came as a result of the fall. At least not intended to be. Because if pain was involved in childbirth and God said to Adam and Eve, multiply, then pain was expected. So we cannot say that all pain was the result of the fall. And that has a lot of implications. Look now. The judgment was increased or multiplied pain. Now this is just amusing on my part. I wonder if this might indicate that childbirth was not supposed to go through for nine months. But maybe only for three months. Now remember, this is my amusing. Because it says multiply, doesn't it? Multiply. I don't know. But here's the point. Childbearing today as a result of this is now regarded almost as a curse by many women. Not all. Why? Because of the physical and emotional pain 
of bearing and rearing children. And so many women now see childbirth and child rearing as something to be shunned rather than something to look forward to with great joy and anticipation. The blessing has been turned by the enemy into perceived curse. Husband and wife now argue over whether to have children or not. That was not part of God's divine plan. That was to be expected a norm. But it isn't any longer. Husband and wife argue over that. That was not a part of God's intended purpose. But Satan has come in and perverted it. This is where abortion and birth control have their impact as well. And this is another touchy area. But why have these things become so predominant? Simple. The woman does not want to have a child. That's it. Why do you kill a fetus, a baby in a mother's womb? Because you don't want it to be born. That's why. Why do you use contraceptives? Because you don't want to give birth. Simple as that. Was that a part of God's plan? Now you all got to work that out yourself. But it wouldn't seem so to me if to have children was to be a blessing. Maybe God himself was the one who controlled how many numbers of children we have. After all, does it say somewhere in the word, it is God who opens and closes the womb? But you see, we want to fix things. We don't like the way the manufacturer has done it, so we're going to bring something from another manufacturer named man. And I'm going to fix what God has planned. And so I'm going to use these outside brands. And do you think the family is going to work and run on all cylinders the way it should if you use parts that are foreign to the original? These things take away from the intimacy and stamp of divine approval upon sexual intercourse to the fear of having children. Abortion and contraceptives are now regarded as a woman's right. They see these as something divinely given by God. The right to choose to kill. The right to choose to decide when I want to have a child. Divine right to choose. Now even though contraceptives especially, not abortion, to me that's written off completely can be an eye used to remove both the control over one's legitimate desires. This fear of having children, this refusal, in a way, of going back to God's original plan, refusal, want to have children, turns lovemaking of husband and wife into the satisfying of lust rather than experience of spiritual ecstasy as designed by God. And so I believe it takes away the stump of divine approval upon sexual intimacy. What am I saying? And even secular psychologists will tell you this. 
That when a woman fears of having a child, she can never fully enter into the joys of sexual relations with her husband. Fear prevents it. Fear stops it. Satan is the one who's caused this to come about because of the enticement of the first husband and wife. God's most beautiful gift to husband and wife has been perverted so that now it becomes the reason for conflict within a marriage. Husband and wife fight over whether or not to have relations or when to have relations. That's one of the big arguments going on today. Because when the refusal is there, violence sometimes occur. Why? Because of the judgment upon the first mother, the first wife. Fear, rather than joy and spiritual ecstasy, now dominates sexual relationships between husband and wife. Never was this a part of God's original plan. Never! But how do we fix those things in a marriage? These fights that cause separation and even divorce, how do we fix it? We got to go back to God's divine plan and be willing to submit ourselves to his purpose and his plan. Now notice what it says. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now that's another verse that there are many different opinions on. Let's look at it carefully, because this is important. This will show you, in my understanding, that why marriage is in such a condition that it is today, and why some wives take the position they do, and why some husbands take the divisions they do, or who's the boss in the home. It two views regarding desire. Look at the verse in your Bibles. When it's normally read, your in pain you will bring forth children, yet or but your desire will be for your husband. One view of this, the meaning of this word desire, is that the man will continue to have sexual desires for his wife, in this case, Eve for Adam. In other words, in spite of pain involved in childbearing, the woman will still desire to have sexual relationships with her husband. In other words, she can go to the pain. That's how some view it. The implication is that a tension would be created in fulfilling the mandate to bear children. In other words, women would be less inclined to have children because of the physical pain involved. But she will decide to do it sometimes because of a strong desire for sexual relations. That's how many take it. Now, of course, one result of this could be this content that can lead to violence. The woman refusing to submit to the husband, resorting to power rather than showing sacrificial love toward his wife. See, God's purposes are distorted. But the second position is that the desire refers to Eve's wanting or desiring Adam's position of authority that she had when she spoke to the serpent. 
The concept here is that the woman will continue to desire independency apart from the rulership of the man because that's what she demonstrated when she took on the serpent. But he will, the man, nonetheless continue to have dominance over her. In other words, regardless of her desire to have this independency, this authority in the home, the husband is going to hold on to it even if he has to do it by force. Because the word there, rule, in the Hebrew is another powerful word. It's the same idea of rule, but the idea of holding down, suppressing. The implication is here that a tension would exist between a man and a woman or a husband and a wife regarding their roles. Who's the boss? The woman will want the same authority as the man, but the man will retain his God-given position, but he will do so by force. Now, here's the biblical support for that position. Let me give it and then we'll discuss it a little bit slowly. In Genesis 4-7, we have the only other place in Scripture where this grammatical construction with regard to the term desire is used. The only other place, and it's used almost in the same context, same story. When it is used in 1 Corinthians 4, it is used in a negative context. Listen to the words. Genesis 4, verse 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Notice, if you do well. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. The picture is of a wild animal ready to pounce on its victim. Notice, and its desire is for you. Same grammatical construction as in Genesis 3. Notice now. But you must master it. Same idea. You must have power over it. So the idea is here that in order for Cain to overcome this appeal by sin, he must do so in a violent way, in a forceful way. That's the same way I believe that the term he will rule over you is used in Genesis 3. In other words, Eve's sin frustrated God's rulership image in the marriage relationship. You see, we have to see what happened here. God's image, likeness, and man, as far as his authority was concerned, was marred and damaged by Eve's actions. The man will now have to rule over a resistant wife rather than rule with a cooperating helpmate. That's the judgment upon Eve. This was never God's plan. And when it is done in this fashion, it shows that the individuals who are involved in this kind of a fight have not applied the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to their marriage. Did you get that? Whenever we have this ongoing fight and struggle for who is the boss, it's an indication even if we are professing Christians, that we have not applied the redemptive work of Christ in our lives. In other words, we're still living under the judgment of Eve. And God, through his son Jesus Christ, has removed that through the toning work of Jesus Christ.
Now, as a result of the curse or judgments, God's image is seen in man under sin. His original purpose is marred because of sin. And because of this, the true nature and meaning of a shared authority among equals in a family cannot be adequately demonstrated as intended by God. It can only be done, as we'll see in a moment, by a husband and wife who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ and is now, now are applying that redemption to the marriage union. In other words, I'm saying this, the struggle for who is the boss in a family is a spiritual one, not a social one. It's a spiritual one, not a social one. We'll only be fixed when we go back to the owner's manual. But not only that, not only is our relationship between the spouses perverted, the process of man's support of his family is also perverted. Look at verses 17 through 19. Then it says, then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. When you read this passage in Genesis, always look for the voices. Because that's where it always started, listening to the wrong voice. They started off listening to the voice of God in the cool of the day. Then Eve listened to the voice of Satan. Then Adam listened to the voice of Eve. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. It's only Satan in the ground that is cursed. Adam and Eve are judge, but not curse. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. That's a change. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. This is another interesting passage. Cursed is the ground because of you. Study Romans 8 to see the results of this and also the end of it. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Now this is a part of the judgment. This means that that was not a part of God's original plan. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. It seems that that was not God's original plan. It's a part of God's judgment. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. The only way I can get paid is if I sweat and perspire when I preach. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. You see, this has to do with the emphasis on hard work. Extreme work. The idea was that's not a part of God's original plan. Work was never supposed to be seen as hard and extreme and something that is difficult. In fact, when you read the context and look at the words, when it says that God placed him in the garden to keep, it has the idea of worship because he's following the command of the Father, of the Creator. But our sin have distorted that. Till you return to the ground, that's our destiny. Because from it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's why we say when we commit a body to the grave, what? Dust to dust, 
Where did that come from, ashes to ashes? Who put that in there? I never say that. At least I try not to say it. Because it never talks anything in the Bible about ashes. It's dust to dust, earth to earth, you see. All right. The point here is this. That which was once intended as joy. Go back to chapter 2. Tending the garden was to be an indication of God's blessing. Work is to be seen, if you want to call that, as a blessing from God. It was intended to be a joy, a means of worshiping God. But now, it is regarded by those under the fall, and unfortunately even by those who are supposed to be redeemed, is seen as sorrow and toil. That's why I have on my desk a little sign that says, My work is my worship. I've been criticized for that. But you see, I'm looking at it from a divine perspective. Not a human, but a divine. Everything that I do as a human being redeemed by the blood of Christ is to be an act of worship to the God who redeemed me. Everything. But man don't see it that way. There's one thing that many that people are working for, working for is what? To stop working. People are working so they can stop working. I was going to say my philosophy is I don't believe in retirement, but if I'm going to scare a lot of people if I say that, so I'm going to say that. Sin has caused us to have a wrong conception of work and our responsibility that is entailed with work. The work is a means by which God has ordained for us to care for our family. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, If any man does not work, neither should he eat. Isn't that right? They go hand in hand. Now one time I really got riled out for this, but I can say it anyway. I like to get routed, I guess. Ladies, if you're feeding a man who could work and don't work, you're going contrary to the word of God. I don't care how much good you think you're doing. If you're feeding a man who can work but don't work, you're going contrary to the word of God. And a man, and man if that's you, the Bible says you're worse than an infidel. You know what an infidel is? A man who does not know God and don't care what he says. And if that's you, that's who you are, according to the word of God. This is all the impact of disobeying God. If we're going to fix it, if we're going to rebuild the foundations of the home between husband and wife and children and so on and parents, we've got to go back to the word. Not to what other people are saying, but to the word of God. But let me finish one more. Other consequences of the fall. We're talking about how it impacts the home, the family, and so on. Other consequences. First, the woman's priorities shifts from the husband-wife relationship to the home-children concern. It says in verse 20, Now the man called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. 
focus now shifts to the children, motherhood, rather than wife. In other words, the woman now shifts her attention to the children. And the woman now becomes the helpmate for the children rather than for her husband. In other words, the intimacy that the husband and wife is supposed to have and that Adam and Eve were enjoying before the fall in the cool of the day with God. See, that's the picture we have before the fall. That wonderful serenity of fellowship between husband and wife. They were together and they were not ashamed. They didn't know they were naked. They were open and free to one another, enjoying close communion. Nothing was hidden. No masks were there. They were naked and didn't realize it. In other words, they were not ashamed. But when they listened to another voice, suddenly they became ashamed. They didn't become naked. They became ashamed. You see, this is why when you get another look at the redemption of Christ, and we look at this as another time, so much seed truth here. And God had to provide the covering for them. What did he cover? He covered their shame. And so when we apply the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to our husband-wife relationship, we shouldn't be ashamed of one another. We should not be afraid to talk or discuss or to open up our very souls to our mate. If we are, you're still living under the curse. You still not have applied the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ to your marriage relationship. So that closeness, that intimacy is now shifted. And you go, talk to anyone, pastors included. When that first child came along, what happened to your relationship with your wife? All of a sudden, you got to fix your own breakfast. All of a sudden, you know, night now they're laying down with the baby. Now, we don't realize the impact that sin in the life of the husband and the wife as well as the children has upon our relationship to God. We could say it the other way around. We don't realize how our lack of genuine intimacy with God impacts our intimacy with husband and wife and with our children. If you see a husband and wife who are always fighting and cannot agree, you can be sure that they are out of fellowship with God. At least they're not as close to him as they should be. It's the same thing with children. Children have brought so much havoc into home because of rebellion against their parents. But we'll see that in a moment. Let's go on to another one. Worship in the home is perverted. Chapter 4, it's amazing, startling, that the first conflict in the home began because of worship. Because who's going to church? And who's going to do the right thing at church? Listen to the word. Verse 1, chapter 4. Now the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time 
that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now, take note of course of time and his actions. It implies that during his course of time, he was taught something about bringing offerings. In other words, his parents was instructing him, as we would say today religiously, how to worship. That's implied. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and their five portions. Obedient children. Listening to their parents' instructions or off, having offerings and going to church. But the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Those are some awful words to hear. That God has no regard for what we do. Hmm? But notice, we could do it. And thinking that he has regard, we could come and worship and bring all our tithes, all our offering, all of these things. But we're not doing it God's way. He has no regard for it. Isn't that something? If you do it our way, God doesn't regard it. So Cain became very angry. That's what happens when we realize that God is not accepting our efforts. There's not a, God is not accepting my doing things my way. We like to do things our way. But God has no regard for it. And he became angry. That's why people in church get mad and leave. Or have fights in their families or whatever it is. Because they come to realize that God does not regard what I'm doing. In my own efforts, my own strength. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well. Now that implies that he knew how to do well. But he refused to do it. Will not your countenance be lifted up? Simply saying, if you do what I tell you, man, you're going to be happy. You're going to be glad if you do what I tell you to do. The only time you begin sad is when you do things your way. And do it in my name. See, that's the thing. And that's so prevalent today, boy. Once we say, in Jesus' name, that takes care of everything. I doing it for Jesus. That takes care of it. No, it doesn't. Jesus said to all of those faith healers, casting out demon people, depart from me. I never knew you. But Lord, Lord, Lord. I've been calling you Lord, Lord, Lord. I've been doing all this in your name. Who, you? I don't know you. No regard. No regard. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and a desire for you, but you must. Boy, we're going to do a series on this here. That you must master it. You must fight against sin. You must fight against temptations. That's why... Jesus himself talks about, uh, it's only through violence we get into the kingdom. Struggle, fighting against the evil one. Listen, Satan, even after the fall, was still after the family. But notice who is coming through now. He isn't coming to the Eve now. He's coming to the children. And Satan has destroyed many homes and even wife-husband relationship because of the disobedience of their children. Because they want to do things their way. They want to have independence. 
And so they go about doing things their way. They don't want to listen to the instructions of their family. And so they go their own way. And they destroy the family as a result. Now as we go on, I'll just briefly do this and then I'll close out. In verses 18 through 15, sibling relationships are perverted. This is when we have the big fight that led to murder and violence between Cain and Abel. Violence started in the home. And if it's going to be prevented, it must go back to the home. But we have a lot more to say about this because it goes on to talk about not only siblings, but it goes about how their home was destroyed through multiple marriages. We'll talk about that next time. My point as I close now is that as we look at the home today and all of the family problems and difficulties we have, I say to you that the only sure remedy is going back to the Word of God. That's the only sure remedy. And committing ourselves to doing what God tells us to do, regardless how we think about it. Remember, the world is giving us advice and counsels that are contrary to the Word of God. But remember His words, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways, my thoughts above yours. But he says this, when you obey his word, it will accomplish the purpose for which he sends it. So let's get back to the word. That's how we can really rebuild the foundations. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. But we know that your word must have good ground if fruit is the result. So we pray that our hearts might openly and readily receive your word so that your will may be accomplished in our lives. And all of God's people said, Amen.